Today's market call is presented by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow and SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. Damn straight. Look how pro we are. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, you weren't here for that yesterday. No. We rolled that out yesterday. Yeah. And we do it because we want to save time instead of me bullshitting. Oh, like for, this? For like we're like, doing like, right like, now. Like this. We want to get right into it. Well, we got a lot to do today. Well, first things first is, has anyone noticed this? And we're not going to, we're not going to give anything away. There's something different about us today in this there video. Is. I okay. mean, well, let's, a let us keen-eyed viewer let, will let, notice let, that. All right. Let, and, and we did listen to some of the folks. Remember, we asked for some suggestions. Sure so we're going to have some, we're going to have a new look. We're going to have a new fit, as the kids say, next week. Putting, okay. Putting yeah, the, so, oh, some, I won't say it. Something's happening. Okay. Uh, one o'clock on the East Coast. Yeah. It means it's <clears throat> 10 o'clock out West. Well, today's market call, as you know, who's brought to you by, but it is Elizabeth Day. Yeah. It's EY, it's Liz Day, yeah. as they say. EY from so far. EY from, so we're going to bring her in. Mm. Licking has that split. caught on? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, I, I saw her yesterday. 100%. She was in San Francisco. She was on with our good friend, Scott Wapner. Yeah, I love that. The, the HTR. Yes. And, and she was on from there. With the SDs. No, I mean, she does a tremendous job. She does do a great job. It's amazing, though. You would think, given our relationship. Yeah, her with she, us. She would come on the Fast Money. No. Yeah. She decides. Well, we'll see about that. I, this, I, I understand. I right. get it. Well, she's going to be on Market Call in just a couple minutes. Um, Guy, the markets in general have a slightly different tone oh, to them this mm. week. You know, I was looking at some charts, you know, as I as I want to do mm -hmm. from here and, and, you know, from time to time. I was looking at my fact set machine. Amazon, maybe they can pull this up, has sold off 15% in a week. Okay. This is a trillion dollar. You no, know, I'm familiar like, with the like company. Yes. What, what was so different two weeks ago? Okay. That this stock was, was approaching 52 week highs. And you know, it's just really funny to me. I, I, you know, like, and, and that's one of the things is like, people say, ah, oh, you've been fighting this and fighting that trade the market. They haven't I hate that. You like that that comment? There's certain the things you that know you that, have. that drive me crazy. Yeah, that's one of them. Well, there are a lot of things. Like, that's up. There. Look at that. Okay, we can draw some trend lines. We can draw a whole host of things. You can see it. Your your mind's eye can see the uptrend line that started in March. Yeah. It has just been basically violated over the last couple of sessions to yeah. the downside. So then, if you really want to take it forward, where should there be support? Support should come How in the form. Easy that is. Well, look, look at that, Stephen. Because Rafus gets it, man. man. He knows. He knows how support should come in the form of effectively that August low, and then we'll see what happens if and when we get there. But that's how you look at charts. I mean, yeah. once that uptrend has been broken, now you have right. a change look in trend. He just did. And here we go. My God, he. But, but you know what? Hold. That's unbelievable. <laughs> so think about this for a minute. Six months ago, is Rafus doing that? Yes no, or no? No. No shot. No. But that shows development. You know what that also shows? He's been watching Carter Braxton work yeah, yes. with us for a year and a half straight. Yeah. That's how you learn how to chart people. That's how you learn technical analysis. Let's throw another one up there, by the way. So oh, after, we're just going to test it. So right. after NVIDIA reported, <laughs> yeah. so you see I'm teeing them yeah. up. So now they know, yeah. put up an yeah. NVIDIA chart. Yeah. I was sitting on a set of Fast Money. They report after the bell. Uh -oh. And the stock, I think, closed around 480 or something-ish that day. And in the aftermarket, I think the stock opened around 508. And at one point, it was trading 516. Without naming names, people on the desk were saying trillions and trillions of dollars of addressable market. And all those things yeah. you typically, the excitement, valuations don't matter. They grow into the valuation. Stock has gone down 19%. Since then, by the way, it never, I think the high, the all time high in market hours was either side of 500. Yeah. So that 516, which I don't know who bought stock up there, but that was a bit of an aberration, as they say. But here we are. And oh, by the way, it's still expensive. And oh, by the way, there's still that gap in the chart that we made back in the spring. You know, so it's funny that gap, if it were to fill in that gap, get back towards 350, which wouldn't be a total gap fill, that would be a peak to trough decline of 30%. And, and just do the math. I just want to be really clear here, people. 30% on $1.2 trillion, that's a lot. You could say, well, it just got back to where it was. But a lot of people, a lot of investors make a lot of really bad decisions at you know relative highs or relative mm -hmm. lows. So it is important just to point that out. Who knows if it gets back there? I suspect it gets back at least to 350. Um, Guy, before we get to Liz, 
and talk Fed and the market's reaction and, and what anticipation there was into it. Let's pull up the S&P 500 chart because this is one that that we drew ahead of time. So Steve, Stephen actually drew it, but we were looking at this thing. This really does have all, you know, th- this is going back to 4,200. It, that rising 200-day moving average is right at that breakout level mm-hmm. from May. You see that uptrend that's been in place from the October lows. So it would be really interesting. And I think you and I have said this on a couple of occasions. If the S&P were to go back and retest that 4, 4200, maybe gets 4150 or something like that, goes through the uptrend, goes through the breakout support, mm-hmm. goes through its 200-day moving average. Listen, that might be enough mm-hmm. for a correction. Okay. Like, like again, neither one of us, we, we're, we're not sticking to the October lows. I, I think we moved that kind of outlook months and months and months ago. But to have a healthy equity market that is really factoring in a higher dollar, higher crude, higher interest rates, you need to put some fear back in the market. And we're still at 16 and a half in the VIX, guys. So I hear what you're saying. In my, in my mind, I think t- seeing those October levels, I, I think it's an absolute... Um, I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion, but I think there's a 50-50 chance of it happening. The math suggests it should happen, given what we're seeing. We have a question here. Will TNX see a five handle this year? I don't know if we can pull that up or not. If you can't, basically, that's a yield. That's a 10-year yields, which I think traded 4.5% today. I don't know for how long we've been saying you're going to see higher yields. I know Carter and I sort of a differing view. He had a technical thing. Mine was a little more fundamental stuff, but the the magnitude of the move over the last couple of days in 10-year yields is staggering because yeah. it's being built upon the move we've already seen. So the short answer is I don't know if we're getting a five percent, but I've said for a while, somewhere between four and a half and four, three, four and three quarters. And equities should not like that. Equities will not like yeah. that. And the reason why mm-hmm. yields could go lower is because if the market sells off on the back of that, there'll be this perverse flight to quality in the form and of that's the bond kind of market. thing and, and we'll bring liz in a second to break this this kind of debate here a little bit open because i don't you made this point on many occasions and i agree with it it's like higher rates bad for equities lower rates for why they would go down that's right would be bad for equities you know what i mean so like i i don't know man i i like i just they don't seem like it's a great spot now there might be sectors there might be individual names that have just kind of baby with the bathwater where you start dollar cost another averaging one. that's another one you're two for two today you've never i've been out, how long i've been on tv for you say for 40 years 37 years i i've never mm-hmm. uttered that phrase you know what you do, i don't even know what i, it, tell you, I don't even you know, know what it means every once in a while i, mean, I obviously know what it means money, you will say, some people will say, and it will irritate me, okay? And then you say the That's thing. Right. Now, if we wanted to get all fancy here, we could we could do a, we could do a, sh- well, like we a whole reel of you saying the things yeah. that you hate. Sometimes I do it just to sort of, all right, let's, you know, let's do it. Agitate if, if other you people. said it, it's EY day. That would be it's Elizabeth Young. No, I didn't say it. People <clears throat> in the chat. People, people on Twitter say they love her. It's, it's unbelievable. They so you say, her. do people know? Damn straight. And they just know. get ready, people, because uh, away from that brilliant mind, and, and she's going to, you know, talk about her writings uh, on the SoFi mm, blog. True. She also has a little hot for teacher look going. No, hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, there it is. One of the great men. Can I tell you is. something? We to this day, my friend Tony just got engaged. Yeah. He's he's going to turn fifty nine in October. Hopefully he's on his like. No, 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 no. This is his first time he's oh, ever really? married, and he he wants to get married. He's you know he's wanting whatever. It doesn't hey, matter. Tony, give me a ring. But I, we've known each other since we're five years old. <laughs> if I called him up and said I don't feel tardy, he would start <laughs> hysterically <laughs> laughing. We say that all the time. I don't feel tardy. Does anyone have a pencil? I mean, the shit in that song. That's crazy. That's why if you're sorry, can I do this for a yes, second? Yes, it's your show. If somehow you <clears> think that Van Halen with David Lee Roth is the same Van Halen no. with Sammy Hagar, you're an asshole. And I'm talking to somebody out there, and yes, I just said that. It's a completely it's not even none in the of, same listen, conversation. None of our viewers are our listeners, but Liz, like, no, can you help if, us if out they here? They think that they are. Okay. I don't care. Put it in the chat. Liz, Sorry, Elizabeth. You probably I, got to know Van Hagar. That's probably oh. how she came into the the world of Van Halen a little bit. No. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just skip right past that whole topic. Let's. We can go back to we can go back to baby with the bathwater or like Which the, is another what's one. the one about what's the one about something like bite your nose off to spite your face or yeah, I don't another know. one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What about tail wagging the dog? All right, Liz, help yeah. us out here a little bit. Okay. You you heard us kind of. I would say. We weren't like waxing poetically. We were waxing something. Um, rates higher, uh, meaningfully higher. Like you saw what just happened in high growth, high valuation stocks. Okay. Mm-hmm. If there was ever a reason for them to come down meaningfully, 
Um, mm-hmm. I have to assume that would be because something's going wrong in the economy and therefore you're not going to be wanting to buy the same stocks that are selling off right now. So help us out here because it really feels like the stock market is finally in a little bit of a pickle. Guy, you ever use that expression? Mm. I, okay. for, from time to okay, time. Go ahead. By the way, pickles are very... This pickle is ball, the pickleball. No, no, no. Oh. Pickles are very good for you. Pickles. Yeah. We have a yeah. kid. We have a just, you know, we have a kid in the office just started with us. Fantastic. We order Jewish deli a lot, as you know, Liz, because you're you're in here every once in a while. Oh, I love your not, free food. Yeah. He will not eat the pickles. Pickles are good for I you. I know you this kid, but maybe you have to talk about sauerkraut Timmy. is good for you. All right. Too. Uh oh, I love a pickle. I know. Yeah. We know you do. All right. Get, um, get okay. up in here. What do we so, got? So there, well, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about here. And I think our viewers are probably expecting the three of us to celebrate that. Oh my gosh, things are finally going the way that we said they would. I've been saying for a few weeks, the market is acting rationally. It doesn't mean it's going well, but it's acting rationally in the sense that the tenure has been rising. Mm-hmm. So far, this decline has been pretty orderly. So if you look at the local top July 31st, we've had what, 3.2%, not counting today. Maybe we're down three, 3.2% since then. And it's been a pretty orderly decline. There's been more pain in the NASDAQ as rates rise. That's a rational market. So on a day like today, especially post-Fed, on a day like today where yields spiked, now I don't think a spike in yields was very rational, but yields spike and the NASDAQ is down, the S&P is down, Amazon, right? Some of the companies that you would expect to be down on news like this or on a market reaction like this, this is rational. However, there is, I think, probably a little bit of a an inconsistency. And I wrote about this a little bit in my note. There's an inconsistency and, and I think indecision, almost confusion mm. on the part of investors of, okay, if I'm worried about slower growth and if if Powell gets what he wants or gets what he expects, which is a period of below trend growth, what am I supposed to buy? Because generally speaking, below trend growth would say you don't want cyclicals, right? You don't want things like energy. In this case, tech has been the thing that has followed growth up, followed growth down. Tech has been always the solution, but now we've got yield spiking to levels that we're not even sure how high they're going to go. And I think investors are sitting around wondering, well, what am I, where am I supposed to go from here? What are the good options? I think the good options are number one, sit on your hands for a few days and wait for some of this to play out. But I also think that the good options are the sectors that we have not talked about as much, the stuff that has gone overlooked, healthcare, utilities, Mm -hmm. things like that, where you're kind of out of the line of fire and you're not in the sectors that everybody is paying such close attention to that are so ripe for volatility. So we talked about it before you came on, um, an, an environment where at this point, regardless of where yields go, it could potentially be negative. So I've said yields going higher, I, th- I think, are negative for stocks just in terms of the math, just in terms of valuations. But what I also said was if the market were to sell off in a meaningful way, you might see a flight to quality in the form of yield. So Yields higher, market lower. Market lower in a meaningful way could make yields go lower. So either circumstance seems to me it's sort of equity negative. Am I am I too dogmatic in my views or am I onto something there, Elizabeth? No, and I and look, I'll give you credit. You've been very, very right about this 10-year move. I I'm feeling right now like we're probably getting up near the top end of it, but the stuff that I think we talked about this last week, you and I did at least, about yields probably go up before they go back down. I do expect there to be stress that shows up in the market and look at things like high, I just tweeted this earlier, mm-hmm. high yield spreads, tight, 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 right? That doesn't make any sense in this environment. The reason that part of the reason they're tighter is because the tenure has gone up so much, but you're not getting that much compensation for taking that much more risk yeah. in a credit instrument during a period where we've constricted capital and we're hitting maturity walls and all the different things that could happen with credit. So you have to be really careful about what you're getting into here. And I think, you know, the Fed, they did an okay thing yesterday, and and I might be skipping ahead here with this topic. They did an okay thing yesterday by saying, we're being patient, we're being careful, but they're stuck in a hard place. And now we're at at the end of the tightening cycle. The market doesn't really know which way to go. I think we're going to start seeing dissension on the part of the Fed. I think there's going to be members that are voting in different directions. And the uncertainty just gets higher when that happens. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And and so you just said something, Liz, they're, they're towards the end of the hiking cycle. And I guess... That's the thing. If they're not, I, I agree with you. I'd be shocked to see the 10 year with a five handle, you know, that sort of thing. Um, 
But that would mean that inflation is just out of control. That would mean mm -hmm. all the things that Guy Adami is saying, careful what you wish for as it relates to higher inflation, you know, pre-pandemic, is it is out of control. It's been measured incorrectly. Some of these deglobalization and reshoring and some of the dynamic, you know, demographic shifts and this and that, whatever, that they literally have absolutely no control. Now, I know Guy thinks that they never had any control, mm -hmm. meaning like they just had what they thought were certain tools that they could move rates around and then the dollar would do this and equities would be supported like that. But maybe we are in a bit of a new paradigm, you know, Guy. And, and, and so I think that's, the one thing is like, man, that would be the pain trade. If you see a 10 year, you know, get above five and a half percent or something and, and, and a Fed funds rate. And, and listen, Jamie Dimon told us a few months mm -hmm. ago. I mean, he said it right. When was that? Can maybe this, he said, be prepared for six, seven. And let's take a look. So Liz mentioned high yield spreads. Let's look at the HYG. We mentioned it on Fast Money. We've obviously talked about it on this show a number of times, mm -hmm. but let's look at the HYG briefly here over the last couple of weeks. That's, that does not trade, and I'm not suggesting anybody yeah. should trade it, but yesterday, the last couple hours of the day, it fell off a cliff. It does not trade that way, <laughs> and then today, it's down meaningfully. So the one thing that I've said for a while, and I believe this to be true, it's not about the S&P Fed put, because I think if it exists, it exists around 3,600, much lower, yeah. <clears throat> much, if not lower than that, by the way. It's probably closer to you know, 3,200, 3,000. <clears throat> The Fed put comes in the form of two different things. One, the unemployment rate, around 5%. And by the way, um, California typically leads the rest of the United States by a couple months. The unemployment rate in California has spiked to almost 4.6%. Just keep that in mind. The other thing, obviously, the credit markets. If the credit markets start to seize up, I think that's when the Fed will step in. And again, I'm not suggesting we're on the precipice, but that move in the HYG, you absolutely have to watch, Elizabeth. So first of all, they have now set a precedent, they being the Fed, they've set a precedent that if the credit markets stop functioning as they should, they will step in. They did it last time. They bought mm -hmm. ETFs. They saved it. And now we're conditioned. I think everybody is conditioned to kind of watch and wait and see what they're going to say and that they're going to prevent any severe drawdowns. They're not going to prevent any drawdown, but we're conditioned to believe that they're going to prevent severe drawdowns and they're going to make sure that capital markets function as they should. So far, they've been able to do that. They've been able to plug the holes. They solved the regional bank or saved the regional bank crisis. If there comes a time when they can't do it, that's when I think people get really, really scared. Next topic I want to bring up, and, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. However, on the toot. halftime report yesterday, we do a final trade. You guys do final trades on, on Fast Money, I believe, too, right? If you ever came on the show, as I mentioned earlier, you know, maybe you would know. Thanks for watching. But I understand. You make choices in life. I get it. It's like so anyway, we do final once trades on Halftime you, Report. Once you've established your fandom, you're not allowed to change. The same way with Elizabeth. She established that she wanted to be one of the SDs on the HTR. And she's sticking by that. I respect that. Well, she's also on team market call and on team on the tape. So yeah, we got I'm, that. So she's, she's a, yes. Anyway, I'm loyal like a dog. <laughs> um, okay. So we do, we do final trades, right? And usually those final trades are buys. Normally on a fed day, I would say don't trade because it's mm -hmm. all over the place. You don't know what's going to happen the, the next day. It's a time when you just watch and wait and see, but I'm forced to do a final trade. So I did sell consumer discretionary. Why did I do that? Not because I think Tesla was going to be a problem, not because I saw something about Amazon that I that nobody else knew, but because the consumer is the last thing that everybody kept hanging on to as this is what's going to drive the economy. This is why everything is still so strong. And you start to hear cracks in the consumer story. Guy, you just mentioned the un unemployment rate in California. You've got things like credit card debt stopped going up, which means people pulled back on spending. Mm -hmm. You've got gas prices at a one-year high. We know that inflation continues to take a bite out. We now are back on an uptick in inflation. It doesn't feel right. And then you've got retail stocks trading poorly, right? Yeah. So sell consumer discretionary was my final trade yesterday because if something does start to break, the consumer is the last thing to go, but it's going to go hard because we've been hanging on that forever. And people probably, I'm assuming here, people probably have overspent already to this point. So the higher it goes, the further it can fall. And I think it's fragile for a pullback like that. Yeah, it's funny. I'll just say one thing about the XLY. So this is that consumer discretionary ETF. And you just mentioned Amazon and uh, Tesla. They're the two largest you know, holdings. And I just want to make a point. Like This is a very poorly constructed ETF, right? So if Amazon's 23% and Tesla's 20%, 
um, you know, and then it's McDonald's, Home Depot, and they're all like low single digits. I mean, this is really making a very concentrated sort of, you know, taking a concentrated view on those two stocks. And Tesla and Amazon couldn't be like, like more different when you think about it from a kid. So I just, I want to make that point, Liz. I, I love what you're saying. And when I look at this chart, I also say to myself, that rising 200-day moving average is going to be very soon at the May breakout, right? And I think all of these major indices, I think these sector ETFs, I think they're all going back to those breakout levels. That's what we were just talking about, the S&P 500. But I want to um, hit on something else. And this is our friend Doug Cass, who was on Market Call a couple of weeks ago, uh, writes for Real Money. Um, he is the uh, managing partner at Seabreeze Capital. And, and he and Guy and myself, we chat a lot. He pointed this out. And we've been talking about this too, the equal weight S&P. He's been saying it's a total fugazi to talk about how the stock market has been broadening out over the last you know, like couple months or so. And so he sent us a chart here. Look. Look at this. This is on fact set an epic double top right there. Okay. So didn't break out at that prior high. You look at that uh, uptrend that's been in place from mm -hmm. the October lows. We just broke the 200 day. We just broke that uptrend. Um, to me, we're down about seven and a half, eight percent from those recent highs. <clears throat> and let's pull up the S&P chart from earlier. So we know that the top 10 stocks make up about 50% of the weight. We talked about how Amazon is down 15% in a straight line. Apple, Microsoft, outperforming today, both down 11% from their July highs too. So if we lose some of these major generals, as our main man, Carter Braxton Worth likes to go, there's not a lot of great action outside of that right now. And we've been talking about transports look like death, banks act like death. I mean, this guy, what are, there's some other sectors that as, don't trade well. As, Robert, as Robert Duvall said in Godfather 1, yeah. If you lose the old man, yeah. you got to make the deal. Yeah. And if we lose these top 10 stocks, you're going to have to figure out what deal you're going to have to make, what's out there that you're going to want to buy. And Elizabeth mentioned it as counterintuitive as it is. Energy makes sense. Healthcare makes sense. Utilities, which should not make sense, given the fact that yields right. are going higher, actually will start making sense You see sense what's going well. on today in pharma stocks? Okay, like pull up mm -hmm. Eli Lilly for a second if we can. And then we're going to do... Pull up Pfizer. Okay. So we were just doing our, our half, our, our, not our half. Don't time. even. Fast. You did we're that doing, to aggravate. We're me. doing our fast money. <laughs> By the way, it used to be called the oh. fast money halftime yes. report. Okay. So I'm just saying, I, know. I don't know. So we were doing the call and, 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 and one of the producers was talking about Pfizer and Moderna. And they were talking about how the, like, I guess the COVID uh, shots are not going well. And those stocks have totally retraced their whole thing. And, you know, it's funny. Look at that. Do, do a five-year chart on that. I mean, this is astounding. Pfizer's awful. I mean, like astounding, right? Like you think that what they came up with and what they did. All right. So that's Pfizer. Let's go back to Lilly for a second. Okay. And let's do like a year-to-date chart. And, and we know that all of this is because of these GLP-1 drugs, the Moderna that they're selling. So look at how this stock has come back. If you don't think at the height of the excitement around these drugs, and look at me, I'm down 35 LBs, baby. Yeah. In seven months. Thanks a lot, Robotti. I mean, seriously, like it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty astounding. But I feel better. I do. I feel a lot better. I sleep better. Everything about me is but healthier here. Um, if you don't think that that stock at some point, Eli Lilly guy, is going to fill in that gap and then overshoot it, no matter how good and how many scripts and and, mm -hmm. and, and no side of it, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just the way the markets work. Yeah. I mean, if we do a longer term Lilly chart, not to, yeah, go five. You'll see there have been sell-offs in this stock. I mean, we've seen a couple of them over the last year, year and a half, where you've seen peak to trough declines off of an all-time high. You can go back and look at this chart. Just about every peak in this chart this year was a was an all-time high at the time. Yeah. And each time you had you know, 10, 15% sell-off only be found buyers. The same thing's going to happen here. This is not an indictment of Eli Lilly. We've talked about this stock for years on the in the bullish sense, but this line job we saw the last time to the upside took a lot of people in. Mm -hmm. And now it, for the first time in a while, I think valuation is starting to get in the way. So yeah. I'm with you on that one for sure. <clears throat> well, and my only point, Liz, is just from a sentiment standpoint, when, when a story is it, like NVIDIA, like you just said 10 minutes ago, when the story is so clear, and the the winners are so evident, right? And mm -hmm. and and it's it like seems like the enthusiasm about it is just like so universal. That's usually when things top out, you know. And so yeah. I'm just curious, what what's your? I always find it interesting because I know you speak to, um, at least as a whole, you see a lot of survey data from your, um, you call them your members at SoFi, and this is a you know this is a demographic. It's a young you know aspirational um, you know like like demographic, and they're investing in a whole host of different things. How are they feeling? about some of these hottest stories? Do you guys have any recent data? I know you do them quarterly, and so maybe I'm catching you off guard.
apart a little bit. But is the is the fever breaking a little bit for some of this stuff? Well, I mean, the first fever that broke was in crypto, really. And that if you look back when I started at SoFi and when the crypto craze happened and the percentage of what it was in people's portfolios was cut in half, partially because the market moved down, but also I think because people got a little disenfranchised with it and, oh, maybe it's not the solution to all of our problems. So that was the beginning of rethinking it and saying, okay, maybe maybe we do have to use some of those back to basic tools, right? The, this is interesting, actually. The top 10 stocks, so Dan, you've seen this before. I've used this chart in a couple of things that we've spoken together at. The top 10 stocks held across our platform. We have an ETF that tracks those stocks. It's called the SoFi Social 50. Those top 10 are the names that you would expect. A lot of big tech, Tesla, Amazon, right? Everything that everybody knows and is familiar with and the disruptors, right? Some of the IPOs that we've had on our platform, things like that. It wouldn't shock you. But there was a brief moment over the last six months or so where a name showed up in that top 10 that even I was surprised about and I was really proud of people for owning, and that was Berkshire Hathaway. So it's one of those times where you start to think, oh, maybe the back to basics, maybe somebody like Warren Buffett still does make sense. Maybe he does still know what he's doing. And it's as if investors started to listen to some of some of those old people again, right? And mm -hmm. think about, all right, it can, maybe it's not that different. So what I would say is some of the biggest surprises, that was one of the biggest surprises recently. Some of the other big surprises were even after the bear market of 2022, we conducted a survey and said, basically, are you scared? Are you still going to invest? And are you going to invest as much? And 70, I believe it was 74% of our members said they were going to invest just as much, if not more, in 2023, despite the bear market of 2022. So I think there are some misconceptions about younger investors in that they just want to get rich quick. All they want is meme stocks. They have never seen a bear market, so they're going to run for the hills if and when it happens. I don't think they're that uneducated. And I think, in fact, they're a little bit more resilient than we're giving them credit for. But they are very overexposed to tech and to those disruptor stocks. And that's been something that I've been trying to communicate over and over and over again, ad nauseum, that you got to own the stuff that you don't like and the stuff that you think is boring too. Throw a little Latin in there. Love that. By the way, the old man, that Buffett character, he's old. Yeah. I think Jimmy Buffett, believe it or not, is a relative or was a relative of Warren Buffett. Yeah. In the same family. Number one. Really? Number Yeah. Number two, oh. and Doug Cass can at me if I'm wrong, but I think that's true. Number two, the old man Buffett, remember like almost, I don't know, nine or 10 months ago, he, what does he do? He has like some missive he puts out. Yeah. He was talking about Japanese financial stocks. Mm. Which counterintuitively have done extraordinarily he was buying well. Banks, right? Yeah, and yeah. they've done well. Anyway, wait, wait, really quick, because you just mentioned Cass. I think it was about ten years ago. Um, I think Buffett invited Doug Cass did, to, to be one to of his the questioners. Yes, and it was epic. It was really cool. So it was so, like Tom Cruise so and some, Jack Nicholson. For some of you guys who don't know Doug, and you hear us quote him, and he has been on with us, like like talk about what do they call bona fides? Or bona fides. Bona fides. It means basically he yeah. can back that shit up. Yeah, well, he does. I, I, don't, I don't think that's exactly what it means. <laughs> Speaking of bona fides, by the way. And they uh, have none, you're going to say. We're no, going to no, go no. to the Fed? We're going to go to your... Well, they... Maybe I should just write it in one of the... I, I'm, I'm a hater. I can't even speak when I think about them. That's how much... I. Okay, here you go. Yesterday on the set of CNBC's Fast Money, uh, Tim Seymour and I, in one of the breaks, were talking about the shittiest songs of all time. Of all time. And I said, you can do an entire list just using Phil Collins songs. It's a studio on the list. It's, it's remarkable <laughs> how many awful songs that man has. And Elizabeth decided somehow she had like ESPN last night and she could see like she was 11 in Stranger Things and she could see what Tim and I were doing on set. And she said, you know what? I got a great idea for the note. So you uh, obviously her note that she publishes every Thursday on the SoFi oh, investing okay. blog. Well, yeah. Just and, set then it up we correctly. To, and then we get to highlight it here on the yeah. market call. Um, thank you for that, Liz. Liz, talk to us a little bit because we had the Fed day. You did double sessions. You were pre-fed on the halftime report. You were post-fed on the closing bell yesterday. Let's uh -huh. throw up some of the headlines. I, I love doing this as a little vibe check here a little bit. Um, it seemed like real time. And Danny Moses was texting me because guy is as incensed you were during the presser. Danny's like, He's off the rails. He's like, this is one of the worst pressers I've seen in a long time. And it's interesting. Just look at these headlines from CNBC, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal. It seems like, you know, I don't know, you know, like, like, like there's a consensus here. So Liz, talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting. We had a, one Mr. Jeffrey Gunlock 
on closing bell sure. after the I'm two. As, as don't we call him do. Jeff. Also, make sure that you still call him the Bond King, and yeah. and he reigns over a kingdom. Um, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> he his take, and this I found this fascinating because I felt the same way as Danny Moses. I did not talk to Danny about this, but I was talking to Mario, my analyst, during the presser, and we were both like, "I don't feel like this is going so well." Right? It, it's a little choppy. It's a little confusing. The questioning was tough, and and the answers weren't always entirely clear. And he's got a hard job. I'm not criticizing Jerome Powell for that, but. There have been better pressers, right? I think he's done a better job in in other meetings. But Gunlock came on and said, I think he did a pretty good job. And and it's just fascinating to me that you can watch the exact same meeting, listen mm-hmm. to the exact same statements, and come away with something totally different. But the my piece, and first of all, Guy, I had written that title before you even went on Fast Money. So I think you were the one with ESP. <laughs> Maybe I was 11ing you. Yeah. No, yeah, fair. So. That's fair. I think so. Well, let's pull um, it up because, I mean, look at can't, can't hurry, hurry doves, doves. Oh, can't man. hurry doves right, well, and, we just refer to the song i mean just so some of our, our viewers no, they, they can google it can't hurry love is such a shitty i think it was i think he, it was like a he wasn't he, that a genesis it though. was it was him oh, as a solo, solo artist yeah. but i think it was him covering us whatever diana ross and the supremes is awful uh, mm-hmm. it's just i mean mm-hmm. it's incredible that wasn't genesis yeah that's embarrassing that i, I did that but Susudio, there was uh, a bunch of there's a bunch of horrible okay go ahead sorry okay so so the September meeting is one of the four times of year where we get the dot plot and we get the summary of economic projections. Again, this meeting was, you know, absolutely no surprise to anybody that they didn't move. Actually going into it, there was a 0% chance in the work function that they would move. So that wasn't a surprise. The dots, some of the, what I pointed out in this note is that look at these. Okay, guys, this is the dot plot. This is the dot plot over time of where they say rates were going to be at the end of 2023. What I've decided is that the dot plot is just very bad at telling us where rates are going to be at the end of any year. Because look at how quickly it moved up over these periods. They just kept moving it up further and further and further. It's almost as if it's backward looking. So I don't know why we use this at all. It doesn't necessarily matter. All it's going to tell us is the way that rates have moved in the last three to six months. So here we are. We have a dot plot that says they're going to hike one more time before the end of the year, whether it's November or December. And then next year, this is what really got to me. Next year, we have a dot plot that says we're going to have a Fed funds rate of 5.1% by the end of the year. So the assumption then, if we can go to the chart of their economic projections, pull that one up. The assumption then is that they're going to somehow maintain the Fed funds rate Mm -hmm. above 5% for the next 15 months at least, Mm -hmm. and somehow have lower unemployment than previously thought, uh, inflation be reasonably contained, and stronger growth. So we're going to constrict capital for longer and keep it restrictive, but somehow have a stronger economy and less unemployment. Mm -hmm. I just, it doesn't, one plus one does not equal two here. And when you think about margin compression that's already going on and the expectation of 9% earnings growth in 2024, that it just doesn't track. If we are going to have revenues that fall because of this middle box, we've got inflation coming down. If we're going to have revenues that fall and pricing power that falls because of that middle box. There's no way that companies are going to be able to produce 9% earnings growth without cutting what's in the box on the right side, which is labor costs. So some of this just is not tracking. It's not necessarily making sense. But at the end of the day, the Fed can't come out and say, okay, so what we really need to happen is a recession between mm-hmm. now and then to take care of inflation. But that means that the boxes on the two sides of this chart are going to be in much worse shape. She's 100% right, Dan. Liz is smart. No. So if Liz looked at us and said, I'm smart. No, who, there's, who's, that's said, Fredo. Yeah. By the way, she's not Fredo. No. She's fucking smart as shit. I've said that before. You can cut that out in the YouTube. I don't care because it's true. It is true. But she happens to be right. Yeah. I mean, this is, you're looking, she's, what do they call it when things are not false in the books? Nonfiction, right? Non-fiction. Non-fiction. That means it's true. Yeah. What you're looking at here is absolute fiction. Yeah. Because it, by, it can't, ha- maybe in their textbooks they think it can happen. But in the real world, it's not going to happen. Well, yeah. And what's going to happen? And then, please, what's this is what's going to happen. The same way these geniuses thought they could control inflation, which they couldn't, and they learned the hard way, yeah. is the same way they think they can control the unemployment rate, which they won't be able to. Because once it gets on that train headed north, they ain't going to stop it. It's not going to stop at four and a half, and it's not going to stop at five. Because when things start to slow down, 
people are going to start to cut jobs more and more. And then that genie's going to be out of the yeah. bottle. And then they'll cut rates. So, and then guess what's going to happen? Inflation is going to take off again. They're screwed. Yeah. Back so, to you. So one thing I, I, I was going to say is we spent a lot of time prior to the pandemic um, talking about automation and what that was going to do to employment in general. And so when you think about the narrative that has captivated the stock market this year, it's about productivity. It's about the productivity gains that uh, AI and, and generative AI in particular and, and these LLMs, you know, that they could do. If you don't think that all of these companies that are you know, spending on whatever the hell they're spending on these, you know, supercomputers and 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 all the access to, you know, buying these these high-end graphics chips and building these models. I mean, the whole other side of this is less people doing all these sorts of you know things and these. So so we're going to go back to a place where unemployment is not going to be below four, and that's going to be like the new norm. I think we're also going to go back to a place where inflation is never really going to be at two percent anymore. You know what I mean? They're going to reset that higher. We're going to have higher rates. I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I kind of feel like um, I think the the market narratives are different than the economic narratives. I think the market narrative is holding on by a, a very thin um, thread right now. And, and so I just want to pull up one thing um, that I think is interesting is, is the, the QQQ. So we spent some time in, in the S&P and the equal weight. Um, let's look at this. this. This is a 20 year log chart. OK, but one of the things I think is really interesting, if you can like this last little flag guy that you see that like the bounce off of this um, long term uptrend. OK, this is a 20 year chart. In my opinion, it's a little bit of a snapback of 2022, but it also is really encapsulated by those top 10 stocks that have been infected by the AI virus, okay? If we were to go back to that uptrend, it would basically be like a 20% mm -hmm. kind of peak to trough decline, uh, you know, or a little more than that or something like that. But man, oh man, if this is a bubble that bursts, if it's a bond bubble that's bursting, <clears throat> if it's an equity valuation bubble that's bursting, if it's, I mean, to me, you know, there's a lot of room to the downside. Look at the last time, you know, the March of 2020, you see that like little quick V, you know, think about how much lower that was than where we are right now. So Liz, thoughts on that? Because listen, I, you know, my take all during 2022, I was a Q's and twos guy. Like my mm -hmm. point is like, if you have to buy stocks, then dollar cost average into the QQQ. And ultimately I actually think the TLT, maybe they can pull this one up here, guy. This thing's been cut in half from its mm -hmm. early 2020. This is 91 and a half was a huge level. We, we breached that today. Yeah. That's the problem. So, 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 so the mean, TLT is the 20 year. Okay. Uh, honestly, at some point, if we have a major correction in the QQQ and, and yields continue to go higher, I am a buyer of the TLT and I'm a buyer of the QQQ. So I'm going to go back to my boy, Timmy's called Q's and twos. Mm. Like that is going to be my trade and that's going to be a long-term trade. Okay. But Liz thoughts on that NASDAQ chart. That's the NASDAQ 100 where 10 stocks make up 50% of the weight. Well, I'm with you on the buying the twos. I'm I'm actually at a point now where I would buy the 10, right? Mm. And but hold it for a while. This isn't something that I would do as a, a tactical trade and say, you know, if you buy the 10 today, I think it's going to go down in the next month. I don't think that's necessarily the case. But I do think over the next six to twelve it will, because we'll get to a point where the economy hits the skids, people are going to get scared. And whether it's rational or not. Fear, fear is going to make people buy the 10 year. It's going to make people buy gold, right? And those are the places that I would be. The cues, uh, I'm I'm not there yet. It I think it would take a quite a big correction for me to oh, get oh, there. Really, really clear. I'm not there right now. I, I'm Where, saying so, down so how, when would you be there? I want I want to get through that 200 day moving average, which okay. the S and P is going to get to very quickly. It needs to overshoot. What I'm saying is when 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 the QQQ, when the NASDAQ 100 feels bad, when Microsoft, when uh, uh, Apple, Amazon, they're all down 20 plus percent, guys, you know what I'm saying? And then you have things like NVIDIA that are down 40%. You're gonna have Tesla down 40%. So my point is like blood in the streets sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And mm -hmm. that is when you have to start to dollar cost average. And that was the trade last year. If you had done that, done an equal amount of the QQQ every week last year in 2022, you would have ended up a price well below the low last year. And you'd be making a lot of money this year, guy. 100%. And listen, just... Well, and Liz has one more chart that I want because it needs her explanation. But if we can put up an SMH chart, mm -hmm. yes. semiconductor index, that. and we've talked about the potential for this to happen for quite some time. But if you go back and look at this and do a little longer term, Stephen, if you may, in the SMH, you will see a textbook double top formation. And 
If some of these stocks start to give it up the way I think they will, uh, it's going to be, as they say, Houston, we have a problem. In this case, we have a problem in Philadelphia because that's the the Philadelphia. Philly. Semi. Like well, yeah, but, but here's the thing. And we've been talking, I think I mentioned it on Fast Money last night. I mean, Taiwan Semi, which is the largest component of this ETF or that or NVIDIA, and I think they go back and forth. It's not 25%, you know what I mean? Like, like, like just from its recent highs. Um, and you know, you have an AMD down nearly mm-hmm. 25%. You have NVIDIA. Now down, getting close to you said twenty percent. So the semi story is coming undone. Maybe they can also pull up Intel, which this is a great tell. Is that when they finally go come for the crap? Okay, and they came for the crap recently. Look at the move; it broke out new fifty-two week highs. It's given the entire move back in the amount of time that it took. So that just means it was in weak hands. You know that that sort of thing. But the semi trade on a relative basis is really poor. So the other night, what's today? Thursday. Yeah. You Tuesday, you weren't. You I were, was in Austin. You were in Austin. And yesterday was your birthday. We said happy yeah, birthday. Thank you for the shout out. And, I appreciate that. Thanks, show. Liz. I didn't hear from you. No, but, yeah, uh, I did get a notification about that. Sorry, yeah, I missed it. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but Pat Gelsinger, who's the CEO of Intel, yeah. he got up on stage and did like two push-ups. And we showed the video of him doing two push-ups. Really? And on TV, I said, he's, that's a total Johnson move. Yeah. He's a Johnson. Yeah. And we invited him to come on the show. I mean... If you want to get up there and two rattle off a hundred, okay, you know what? Yeah. You're a badass. Yeah. Two push-ups. Can you do more pull-ups than you can well, I push-ups? I can do pull-ups. I can do push-ups. Because the shoulders. You got, you got like I can shoulders do, like I can me. do push-ups. I can't do pull-ups. Interesting. Liz, you probably like do planks a lot. You're working on the core. Doing planks. a little. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Do all the sun salutations. Throw up, her, throw up that okay, last yeah. I said I've got one more chart. Let's do I that like real quick. This. Because the visual, the near-term this, forward spread. this shows uh, this. The, you have to see it to be explained. You can't just explain it. You got to see it, please. Yep, yep. So we talk about yield curve inversions all the time. Usually, we're talking about the twos tens, which, by the way, has re-steepened slightly today. We've told you that uh, the re-steepening is what gets you, not the inversion itself. This is a different type of inversion, and this is the one that the Fed watches. It's called the near-term forward spread. It's the three-month yield eighteen months from now. So the expected three-month yield eighteen months from now. Versus the three-month yield today. When this inverts, this tells the Fed that recession risk is high. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one of those charts that when you look at it over a long-term period like this, this is back to 1972, and you've got recession shading in here. It is indisputable and one of the most reliable mm-hmm. recession indicators that we can see. There's really only that one time in the late 90s where you see an inversion and there wasn't a, a recession immediately to follow, but there was one shortly thereafter. Deep, and I would argue that that inversion wasn't even that deep, right? Yeah. So look at the depth and the length of the inversion that's happening right now in the near-term forward spread. The title of this section in my note was, uh, the carrot got further away, but it's still a carrot. And this is what the Fed is watching. This is The Fed knows that this is here. The Fed knows that recession risk is elevated because of this. They can't say that out loud to us, but they know that this is the case. And this is something that, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night, right? We've got The recession hasn't happened yet. You've got all these arguments about the consumer is still strong. Growth is higher than we expected, blah, 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 blah. Earnings are coming in better than expected. But then you've got indicators like this. And it's one of those things that I don't know how we get out of this without pain in the market. Mm -hmm. And this is re-steepening. The twos, tens is re-steepening. And look at what's happening in the market. That's why I wanted, you have to see it and you need it to be explained to you. But those horizontal shaded areas, that's what you're next. That's what you're waiting for next. That's what follows. And given the duration of this, I think what follows to Elizabeth's point is going to be painful. Again, just my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, you know, again, we've talked about this a lot late last year, you know, the the stock market and and other risk assets were Pricing a near certainty that if we were not already in a recession, that we were going to be in one at some point in 2023. All the fiscal and, and and what happened, I guess, in March and April, the response to the regional banking crisis, it pushed it out. And 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 a lot of the data, you just look at the headline stuff and you think it looks okay. I know, Liz, you track a lot of the leading indicators. They're not particularly great. And you look at some of these measures that you point out in your note and you say to yourself, listen, Maybe you should have one eye open when you're sleeping a little bit and you think you're 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 pretty comfortable with this whole setup. You're so, married to a Sicilian. Yeah. By the way, and, um, and which Linda is. No. She, oh, she is married to a Sicilian. She, yeah, she should yeah, but she doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um can Elizabeth stick around? Yeah, let's do it. Because we got we got one thing. We got to, we got to do butters. Um and, and I No, think, but you gotta set it up properly so we can clip it. No, I'm gonna tell the people in the chat, hashtag butters. Oh, that and then shit. we'll just do it. Yeah. And then okay. Cause I mean, if it's Thursday, it ain't margarine, bitch. It's what? 
Butters. Butters. Now you go ahead. All right. So every Thursday on the market call, we get a preview of John Butters. He's the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. He produces a report that you can have in your inbox, people. Um, It's the earnings insight report from FactSet. And we love the data that he tracks. I've been looking at it. I got to think as long as he's been at FactSet here. So let's talk about this. This is kind of in Liz's wheelhouse um, today too. Um, the bottom up target price for the S&P 500 is 51.50 after hitting a low of 44.62 Hold on one second. on I November know 9th last year. You know what's fascinating? Yeah. 51.50. 51.50. What did we start this show with? We started the show with Van Halen. Oh yeah. There you go. It's freaky, right? Yeah, 5150. 5150 okay. is a van. I know. Well, we did do it. Yeah. Uh, so the bottom up price target has increased by more than 15%. So basically, strategists have been riding the price up and, and coming up with different ways in which to adjust uh, their targets. And, and a lot of it has to do with what valuation they're willing to assign, right? So based on this target, industry analysts believe the index will see a 16% increase. Uh, that's versus Tuesday's close. Liz, talk to us about the mentality. You don't have price targets for the S&P 500, uh, but you have frameworks. Um, so talk to us about the psychology around, you know, these these strategists who come on CNBC or, or Bloomberg or wherever they go on and they make these big target prices and they kind of back them up with something. Uh, normally they're wrong. Yeah, well, and that's why I don't do it because it's a really easy way to be wrong. And and I would ar- also argue that there are not many strategists out there who enjoy having year-end price targets. I don't think anybody really wants to do that. We all know that it's an easy way to be wrong. This, okay, look, I'm assuming this is what, a 12 month out price target? Or is this the end of 2024? Or what's the time frame here? 12 months, let's call it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think the path matters, right? It Maybe it'll get to 5150, but I'm willing to bet that there's a drawdown that's pretty meaningful between now and then. And in order to get there, we're probably going to need saving from the Fed again. And to Mm -hmm. Guy's point, then we're just in a situation where, yeah, the market might be at 5150, but inflation is going to be at five or 6%. right? Mm -hmm. And then we start this whole charade over again. This is something too, that I think it's like a field of wheat, right? Sell side analysts. It's it's like a field. It blows with the wind. The wind is going, nobody wants to be the one on a stock that says, Oh, I don't think that's going to work. Right. You don't want to be that much. You don't want to be that much of a standout. Best wheat also, field in cinematic history, guy. Which one is Field it? of Dreams? No. What? Wh- all right. That was corn. That was really good, but but, that was, but no, it's a right. gladiator. So, gladiator. When I mean, the, the on, movie man. starts, the Russell and you see the hand over hand this thing, and then he sees a bird, and then all of a sudden they pan out. There's gonna be a gladiator see, too, and you see the legions uh, that he is commanding, and they're they're fighting the Ger- Germanic Bad. Germanic tribes. Badass. Yeah. Commodus. I've been I've been to the Field of Dreams. Did you guys know that? How would I know this? Do you know where it is? That was because it's in Iowa. Yeah, I know. Shit, I know it. I can't say it. Dyersville. That's you know what. Elizabeth knows this stuff. Of course, you know. Mm -hmm. I think if you grow up between the coasts, yeah, you got to go. Look, Danny Moses is here. So let's take a look. I got one last thing to say about this about S and P price targets because it ignores the bond market. I just want people to know this: the ten-year today, the yield today. The last time it was this high, do you know when the last time it was this high was? As an elephant's eye. No, November 20, 2007. Okay. November yeah. 2007 is the last time I, the yield was that me, high. I know these. Think, think about what was going on then. Exactly. Right and guess what else was going on then? The Fed funds rate peaked out at what? 525, yeah, right yeah. around then. Where are we today? 550, right? Maybe this is the end. Maybe it peaks yeah. out at this point. This is the end. I'm just, that's not a good setup. So November, 2007, there were companies quietly failing in the background. And I'm not saying we'd ha- we're going to have the same thing, but Bear Stearns was March, 2008, right? It was a mere four or five months later. And this is just not, it doesn't feel good to have those same stats today. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, we've been highlighting a bit of that, and 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 I agree. Um, we we had a one year chart of the QQQ. I, I just want to pull this one up because we we looked at that long term, that twenty year log, and that's not so important one way or another. But I do think that this chart is important because, again, you know, um, you know, technical damage. I, we already made it, guys. If you want to pull it up, it was in the in the doc. Um, you know. it's broken that uptrend, you know? And so it means that some of those leaders um, are are not participating particularly Mm -hmm. well. And to me, 
that that's a hungry alligator guy. That that thing is going to its. You know, it's funny about well, the alligators. Apparently, they're always hungry. Yeah. So, but right. this is actually. But one last point. So, Liz, you were saying when when you were listening to the presser yesterday, your thoughts. Okay, you know what my thought was? I immediately did. I bought the next Friday, the September 29th, and I talked about it yesterday. The at the money put 365 put. It cost me 375. Three, think about that for seven trading days. The options market okay. was letting you buy an at-the-money put, okay, after while Fed meeting was basically still going on for 1%. I mean, to me, it just shows the level of complacency. Now, I'm not going to make a lot of money down to that 200-day moving average on that time span, but I will continue to roll those because I think the story's over. And I also heard one other thing today. We talked a lot about this in late July. The high in the NASDAQ. And the high in Microsoft was that week when Microsoft introduced their pricing for their AI tools, the Copilot. Remember that? It was July 18th. Mm -hmm. And the stock rallied 5% in a straight line. And we were on market call while that was going on. And we were like, this is the craziest shit we've ever seen. It rallied $130 billion on just the announcement of it. And then Salesforce came out and made an announcement of their pricing. And then Adobe did. And then Apple said they're racing to come up with an LLM. That was it, people. That was the top. And now we have confirmation that the technicals are actually, you know, kind of like, I, I think, following the fundamentals lower. So that's my two cents. We're there. about to go on an hour here. Okay. But let's put a butter's last slide because what the market thinks for next year, <laughs> the ch which is just preposterous, yeah. information technology and real estate sectors expected to see the largest price increases. I, Nine per 19% each. For the life here. of me, I, okay, you know. Have at what do you have say? at it? Have at it, people. Yeah. And despite having the highest percentage of buy ratings, energy expected to see the smallest price increase. We'll see about so that. You're saying do the opposite. Well, I don't know. Valero made, as I said earlier, an all-time high today. Now, can we do a giveaway before we get out of sure. here? I have two things to give away. Sure. Doug Cast, you can't play in this game. Okay. Yep. Elizabeth, this is the first giveaway. First person to answer correctly in the chat, Amanda will send you one of water those bottle. flasks. Yeah, a water bottle. Water bottle. A water bottle. We should make flasks. Water. Water. Yeah, I don't say, listen. No, 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 no. I don't. I'm not one of these people. I'm not China dollar person. You know who I'm talking about. Pizza. So here we go. First giveaway. You mentioned carrots. There was a great Gilligan's Island episode where all these seeds came to the islands, but they had been radioactive seeds and they grew all the plants. And each person on the island ate a certain thing. Marianne ate carrots and her eyesight improved. She could see a ship that nobody else could see. Gilligan ate spinach and he got strong as shit. So he was able to do things that nobody else could do. Mrs. Howell ate something. What did Mrs. Howell eat? I know what the answer to that is. First person to get that right gets a water bottle. Number two, <laughs> since you mentioned it, you mentioned Fredo. John Cazal was an amazing, amazing actor, died of brain cancer. Over a six or seven year period of time from 1972 to 1978, he was in five movies that were nominated for Best Picture. I'll give you four of them. Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon, Amazing. and Deer Hunter. What was the fifth first person to get that right? Went to flash. He and Al Pacino must have been pretty tight. Dog Day was amazing. That's. I'm just saying. I mean, that's just... All right, Liz, we, we really took you for a ride today here. We're sorry about this. Um, I, you know, uh, you know, you're probably a little punch drunk. You just got off a red eye. Um, and Guy and I She's are just, back. Got we're just feeling it. I dig EY. You know who else digs EY? Everybody in our Everybody. audience. And, and you know what our audience, they love Butters too. So so you guys sign up for, for John Butters Earnings Insight uh, blog and you can have it delivered to your email box. Also, Liz, where can they find your blog that you post every Thursday afternoon? You can find it on the SoFi website in the On the Money section. You nice. can find it on my Twitter page. You can find it on my LinkedIn page. You can find it all over the place. All right. So you guys know where to find Liz. Guy, take us out, buddy. That was fun. I mean, was this fun. was an epic market call. Epic. But we had a lot to talk about. We had fun. Elizabeth was here. I want to thank John Butters for his work. Tremendous. Obviously, thank the audience always. Amanda, Jacob, Timmy. Rafus, everybody in the back office just kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, I hope people in the comments section got the answer right. Doug Cass texted me. I knew Doug. Doug, I know you knew. <laughs> um, but that's it for Market Call. Want to thank Backset, Financial Data Analytics, powered by tomorrow. SoFi, Dan, get your money right all in one app. One app. We'll see you later. See you later. Bye.